Welcome to the Freedom Chaser Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. All right, Freedom Chasers, meet Martin Sines, managing partner with Bequest Funds. He's also, he's also an author of five books. His last book is called Cashflow Dojo, which is all about monthly passive income. Go check it out. A link will be below. But today we are talking about financial literacy. Um, first off, Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, anybody listening, if they were just starting off their path to freedom, what would you recommend the steps that they take? Yeah. Hi, uh, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I love the name of your podcast, by the way, because we're all chasing freedom and um, everyone has a story as to as to how their journey is unfolding in that regard. And so um, keep up the good work with what you're doing. At the starting point, in in my opinion, starts with producing a what's called a living financial statement. So what that is, is um, it's basically an income statement where you have your income and expenses, as well as a balance sheet, with, which shows your assets and liabilities. And why that's important is if you have that information and it's up to date, and then you maintain it every, on a weekly or biweekly basis, and then use that information to go and start building in goals and, and metrics into those into those financial statements, then it becomes living and it actually serves to pull you forward versus it being a historical document, if you will. And uh, so I think that's the first step to, um, to, to moving towards financial freedom. This is beautiful because it seems like my financial literacy might not be quite as high as it should be. I'm, I'm familiar with P&Ls and, and, and things of that nature, but it sounds like this is a little bit more complex. So let's dive a little bit deeper into what a living financial statement is for those that are uninformed. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd be happy to, to share this with anyone, any of your listeners, um, if they if they so choose, because this this I've been using this, I created it and been using it for the past 15 years. And so what I look at from an income perspective, most people look at income in terms of what they're actively working towards. But for myself, um, what my wife and I have done is we actually build out are we, we separate out active income versus monthly passive income. And then, so we look at what's coming in actively. Um, I operate a fund with my partners, you know, I have active income. And then I look at what comes in from a monthly income perspective. And then that, that number that comes in gets placed against a monthly income goal I have for myself, a monthly income passive goal for myself. So I'm able to see what percentage I'm off from my goal with monthly passive income. So it's all about, it's all about in time, you're going to reduce the level of effort that you're placing towards active income. And you want to replace that with monthly passive income, but you don't want to do it at the time that your effort is diminishing. You want to do that today when you still have more energy. So that's on the income side on the expense side. I, I separate out living expenses and business expenses. So um, for living expenses, that's like gas, um, <clears throat> you know, rent, housing, uh, utilities, that kind of thing, things that you need to live in your day to day. 
And then I look at business expenses, which are, which are assets you acquire by which you take on liabilities and you pay for those liabilities on a monthly basis. But those assets you acquire have the specific task of producing monthly passive income. And the idea is that that monthly passive income exceeds your monthly ex passive expenses, if that makes sense. Yeah, so let me try to put a bow on this and see if I got it right. So, I mean, it's, it's similar to a P&L. It's a, it's a lot more thorough, though, because it's not only taking in your business profit and loss, it's, it's taking your personal life, and you're kind of taking a full-on approach into that. And on top of that, like you have a horizontal and a vertical income target, essentially. And your goal is to limit your daily activity so eventually you can live on the passive income. If I'm following you correctly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, but it's not just about the monthly nut that you're working towards on a monthly passive income level. So on the, on the asset side of the fence, um, you're breaking out liquidity at, that you have cash in the bank versus assets that produce monthly passive income. And then you also have, I also have a category for assets that provide a store value. So their, their sole purpose is to, is to be there in a rainy day or be there to, to accrue an appreciation and value over time. But my main focus is to grow my um, assets that produce monthly passive income while building my liquidity, cash in the bank, and then, and then using some of that monthly passive income to actually buy stores of value buy assets that have stores of value so that I'm building, uh, it's a wealth preservation technique. So if something, if I get busted out in one or two categories with monthly passive income, I still have a store of value at the, if, if a rainy day does hit. Okay. So this is a very all encompassing plan. So you alluded that this is your concept earlier. Is that correct? Is this something you developed yourself? Uh, I don't know if it's my concept. I'm not taking credit that way. Uh, I'll tell you that, that I started doing this, um, you know, well over a decade ago with my wife, we meet on this weekly and, um, and it's just part of our, our fabric for our family. And, and so I've built it, I've morphed it over time. It's and, and, and beefed it up. I have a, a, like a beginner's template that I can send out where people can use that and customize it to their own situation. But um, in that respect, it's my very own, but I don't know if this concept is, is mine or what, what have you, but I know it, it's needed. Absolutely. It sounds brilliant. Like just you breaking it down for me. It's just like, I, I need to do this like immediately. I love that you, you meet weekly with your wife and you go over this. Could you kind of give us a broad strokes overview of what that meeting looks like? Because I think more people should be doing that, not only for business and things of that nature, but for personal reasons too. Like, Yeah. So, um, you know, you can meet and uh, discuss, you know, risk factors with some of the assets you, you're, you're acquiring um, to produce more monthly passive income. You can, you can discuss where you are with cash in the bank, how it should be best used. You know, sometimes I have um, a decision, right? Like, woe is me, I have a decision to make, but um, should I buy another asset or additionally subscribe into a private placement that produces monthly passive income? Or should I use those same dollars and buy gold coin and Bitcoin? And so, so I'm making those decisions um, with my wife or, you know, whomever your partner or what have you is. And, um, 
and then as well as uh, looking at your your debt situation to make sure that you know you're not over leveraged that um, you're careful about what you're spending and and um, you can have discussions on income discussions on goals you can say hey our goals we need to uh, have more um, have stretch goals we need to to um, expand our horizon and really challenge ourselves um, to earn more passive income this year you can have all these goal setting type questions do you focus these meetings exclusively on business or do you bring in personal goals and things of that nature as well yeah so um that's a whole other subject so we we actually have i have four children uh 10 to 5 and we actually have a, a weekly family meeting and so we recite our mission statement for our family um, we go over um, events that occurred. We take votes on activities <laughs> or decisions that need to be made as a family. So just imagine that with like four four little kids. You know, it's like kind of a little a little romper room there. There's some snacks and other bribes in there as well. But um, but the whole idea is that um, you know, each one of my children they have their own goals and they have them taped up in their mirrors and uh, of what they want to do and. Um, and so we're very goal oriented type family, um, but we don't bring that as much into the financial um, statement part of the conversation, unless it's a monthly passive income goal. Brilliant. Um, so, you're, I mean, you're still doing it, though, because you're doing it as a, as a whole family, though. So, I mean, it's a little bit different from that meeting. So you have a layer of separation there. This makes a ton of sense, but you're still hitting both of them every week very intentionally, which is beautiful. I love that. Um, it's like going to the gym, right? I mean, like you're, you know, you use like, you know, when, when I, I, I got out of shape for a time and then I got back to the gym and got a personal trainer and he's like, what's your goal? And I go just to show up in the parking lot. And he started laughing. He's like, oh, you know what? To come in once a week, twice a week. I'm like, no, just literally, if I can just show up in the parking lot, even if I turn around and leave, like at least like uh, eventually I'll get in there, I'll get in the routine, but it's just you got to got to start with baby steps and um, build build a habit out of it. Absolutely, one hundred percent agreed. Like most people, I tell like if I'm going to recommend a book, I'll give them a trio of books. I'll be like read the Compound Effect, read Atomic Habits, and then read the Slight Edge. They're all the same book, but they give you three different perspectives on it. Um, basically, yeah, I mean, lace up your shoes every day if you want to go run. At least do that. If you do that at a minimum, you're going to go run eventually, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually set, sign up for my gym um, class the, the night before. So that way I know it kind of sets me up and I'm not going to leave it to chance to do it um, in the morning. Very cool. So like in, in terms of financial literacy, what do you think a lot of people are getting wrong? Um, they're focused on the return. Uh, they just go right to the return, right to um, what type of re instant reward they're going to get for um, for their investment. So, so I'll explain like, um, if, um, and, and, and I know this cause I, I talk to investors every day. I, I, I run the capital raise arm for, for our fund here. And I talk to investors daily and, and, um, you know, you'll get a lot of people and they're just be like, what's your rate of return. And so they can compare it against another rate of return that they're receiving. And I'm just like, that's, um, you know, that tells me like, a lot of people are just saying, well, I need, I need fixed income, right? Inflation's here, cost of living's increased, so forth. And so they might Google search um, highest yield um, income funds out there. 
or top income funds out there. And then they're just looking at, well, this one pays 8%, but this other one pays 6% and this one's 8.5. Well, let me go to the 8.5. So you're just, you're, 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 you're jumping to the end when you have sophisticated investors, um, they'll tend to look at who the operator is, um, what their past performance is, um, what the funds track record is. Uh, do they, does the fund operator have any skin in the game? Do they manage the funds, the assets themselves on a day to day basis with the, with their own in-house team? Um, how do, what, what's the asset class and how familiar am I as an investor with that asset class? Our fund invests in, in real estate in mortgage notes, commercial real estate, medical office buildings, that kind of thing. So, um, so, so like. Do I understand medical office buildings? Do I understand residential owner occupied homes? And then so I'm familiar. Okay, well, what is the due diligence process that the operator takes on to make sure that they're buying these assets, you know, you know correctly and they're buying for where it's sustainable. And then once you ask all these other questions, how accessible is the operator? Um, how, how transparent are they with their financials? And, and all these, all, all these questions are answered to your satisfaction then and only then it's like well what's what's the return for this for this opportunity because you understand all the risk and you you match it up to see if the reward's worth it absolutely 100 agreed i love that you're talking about doing due diligence on their due diligence um <laughs> yeah <laughs> um that that brings me that brings up a question to me immediately so like when you're doing this due diligence process which is brilliant by the way thank you for laying that out what kind of red flags are you looking for? Like, what are the things that stick out to you? And you're just like, Ooh, that's not good. So I can speak from due diligence perspective when we're acquiring mortgage loans, or I can speak to it from, from uh, an investor looking at an operator, um, which, which do you prefer? Um, let's go with the first one and then we'll get into notes later. Okay. So, so as, um, yeah, so, so as an investor, uh, looking at an operator, um, you want to understand, um, what type of leverage they have in place um, to, to make sure that because leverage is usually going to be first in line before you as as the preferred investor, if you're a preferred investor. Um, so you want to understand the pecking order in terms of who gets paid out upon liquidation. You want to understand, um, you know, what their history of uh, payouts to investors are and have there been any late payments to investors? If so, why? Um, you know, is there any uh, is there any fund administrator oversight over the fund? So, in other words, are these fund operators doing their own taxes? Are they, you know, are they are they um, basically uh, certifying themselves as 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 a you know quality fund operator, or is there a third party that has oversight over their financials, over their operation, that can give you an independent um, opinion as to as to how the fund operator is performing? Um, access to their financials. You may not be able to understand their financials, but you can surely you can have a CPA review financials and give you some some um, you know, a sense of of how that how solvent that fund is. And so um, also too, can you go to the fund operator's office and meet the managers? Can you meet the owner? Can you meet the team? Or are they some back office place? You know, working out of the basement of a home and and no accessibility. So you want to understand that, like, how do they communicate? Do they send out monthly statements uh, to investors? Do they send out quarterly statements with their financials? What's their level of communication? 
And then last thing I'm going to say to that is that how is their payout structured? So um, like in our case, we pay monthly back to the investor. So if a fund operator is receiving income on a monthly basis, then it's, it's only fair and right that that operator pays you on a monthly basis. Cause guess what? Your expenses are due on a monthly basis. Absolutely. Thank you for that thorough answer. Um, so when you're looking at any type of opportunity, what kind of risk factors are you looking into? If there were three or something like that, what, what would you give me? Yeah, I, I would just lay out the three, um, really the operator risk is, um, you know, I, I'd want to know that the operator is a thought leader in the space, um, that they do a lot of social good, um, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, they're visible. So in other words, you know, really successful fund operators, they speak at industry conferences. They are, um, you know, they do blogs, they do podcasts. They're not hiding under a rock. And so they're very visible. Now, now that's not the end all. That doesn't mean they're not going to take your money. So don't, or, or that they're incompetent. Don't get me wrong, but that's at least the first step to know that you have access to that individual. Um, I want to know if they have money in the fund that they're managing. So I'm, I'm the largest investor in my own fund. I have over a million dollars just in one fund of cash. So, so you want to know that the operator is not just managing the day-to-day -day affairs and they have sweat equity, which is great, but you want to know that they have that plus they have financial skin in the game because it's almost like a financial planner that says, go buy Apple stock and be like, how much Apple stock do you own, Mr. Financial Planner? And they're like, I don't own any, but I think it's a good idea because I don't know, whatever reason. And, and so it's just, they're getting fees, you know, that, and then I would go into um, the asset class. I think it's so critically important that investors invest in where there's assets that they understand the simplicity factor. So um, we also invest in energy. So we're, if you come to me and you're like, you know, Martin, I don't, I, what's your asset? You know, what assets do you acquire? I go real estate and energy. I, I go, I don't know, like, you know, the, the world, you know, I could throw food in there and I'd probably like catch basic necessity needs that we have as, as a society. And so I can explain that in a way that people can understand. But if I'm like, uh, mining uranium, you know, whatever, <laughs> like, uh, what is, well, what does that exactly mean? And that just might be, um, you know, something you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to like, um, really, really study hard in terms of what the asset class is. It should resonate to you in some way. Okay. So, I mean, you touched upon this a little bit. So you focus on, on, on real estate, which is, you know, housing, everybody needs housing and you focus, and you focus on energy, which, you know, the world doesn't function without energy, but tell me a little bit more about energy. Mm -hmm. Like what types of energy are you guys doing? Wind, solar? I mean, you said uranium, so it sounds like nuclear might be on the list. Give me an idea what that looks like. <laughs> so, so actually about every other month I spend a good week out in an oil field. So we're, um, we have a very strong partner who's been uh, drilling for oil and gas out in, uh, outside Tulsa, Oklahoma for the past 13 years. And so it's a mom and pop operator with no leverage. Um, they operate um, with with same principles that, that we operate with at Bequest. And um, and and so we're we're doing some exciting things with them, including um, mining Bitcoin. So we just we just launched a pilot um, uh, test test run for that. So we're going to be uh, using flared natural gas um, to power. Um, 
diesel uh, engines and uh, that are going to mine Bitcoin right on the oil fields. So it's, it's a good use of renewable energy. That sounds very cool. Is that a unique innovation or is that something other people are doing too? Just curious. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's really in its infancy, just like, you know, Bitcoin in general, but it's, um, but yeah, there's, there's, um, with the cost skyrocketing cost of energy, and that's really the largest cost for mining Bitcoin. Um, we're, we're taking that cost out of the equation with our, with our operation. So we're going to be able to mine Bitcoin, um, you know, at a fraction of the, of the cost that other on the grid operators, um, operate with. And so um, we should be pretty competitive and uh, it should be it should be pretty exciting to see how that that rolls out. But we have we have uh, an operator that's been um, running an IT company for the past 20 years. He's been mining Bitcoin professionally for the past two years. And so he's going to be taking the lead to uh, get that off the ground. That sounds very cool. Um, very tremendous stuff. So I mean, we're going to pivot a little bit here. Because I know you're a node investor, yeah. and I, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't get into that at all, because it's not a topic we've discussed much on this show. So since it's a fairly new topic to the audience, most likely, could we give a could you give us a broad strokes overview of what node investing is real quick? And then I'll dive a little deeper in it. Sure. So um, node investing means a lot of things to a lot of people. There's very there's various ways to go about node investing. So <clears throat> I'm just really giving you um, my business model, if you will, and and so uh, take it for what it's worth. Um, 2013, um, I started acquiring distressed mortgages from the secondary mortgage market. So what that means is, you go into an institutional bank, PNC, Wells Fargo, Deutsche Bank, uh, you know, Citibank, on and on take out a mortgage. Well, a percentage, usually around 4% of those homeowners go into default at some point in their life. They have a, go through a divorce. Um, they lose their job. Um, they, they, they have a health issue. And so as a result, they stop making payments. Now, what a bank will do is they'll do a, n a number of financial maneuvers uh, that the banks like to do, move numbers around financial sheets and everything. And then at some point, they'll go and bundle these mortgages off if they're still distressed and sell them into the more secondary mortgage market because they're no longer they can no longer be securitized. Um, they're they're essentially considered scratch and dent. And so. Um, an operator like myself will buy those. Um, used to buy them at much much lower pricing, but you know we'll buy them anywhere from thirty cents up to seventy cents on the dollar, and and then so now we have a mortgage that is four or five years in in arrears and 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 behind, meaning it's behind, and then we will make contact with the homeowner through a licensed servicer and our attorney our legal team. And we will attempt to see where they're at and in a very compassionate way, work out a payment plan that they can afford to help keep them in their home with, um, a, a, while making a cash flow stream for our company. So essentially that, you know, they got their job back. They got, they found love. Um, their health is back. Um, they just need help with, uh, some options. Um, they need help with, uh, some compassion. Um, to give them um, 
several several options to come back and get back on track so they can pay off their home at some point in their life and and that's what we do um very cool stuff so essentially you're buying non-performing notes and you're reaching out to the occupant which is probably the the owner and you're actually looking to do a loan modification you prefer to keep them there you know a lot of the people that i know buying non-performing notes they prefer to foreclose on them and get them out of there so you look you're taking a more compassionate approach yes there's you know that's a great point i i didn't even i didn't bring i didn't i didn't do the pat on the back for that one um but in a majority of the cases hedge funds their objective is to take back the property because you can two or three x your money within a year and so um you know it's more lucrative to take back the property displace the family um fix up the property sell it as a turnkey rental um you know just sell it on the open market and uh you, you're gonna do much better than than with us our break even is you know sometimes three years down the road and but uh, i'll tell you what it's um i sleep well at night i've been able to help over a thousand homeowners stay in their homes um we now buy these we actually buy distressed mortgages still and help homeowners but we also buy um loan modified loans from other companies that have bought and worked out to um, loan modifications with homeowners so we buy both performing mortgages and non-performing mortgages but for our income fund we just buy performing mortgages we have another company that buys just distressed mortgages. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense that it's wise to keep those separate. Um, so, so what is the yeah. cash flow number that you're kind of looking for? Is it a number or is it a percentage? Give me an idea what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, um, so when you buy non-performing loans, you're buying um, cents on the dollar. So you're buying a discounted pricing. And when you buy uh, performing mortgages, you're buying based on the yield. So, you know, we'll look for anywhere from, from uh, 12, 13% yield to buy in a good quality mortgage. So keep in mind that, that these mortgages, um, a lot of these homeowners, almost all of them, they're good people. You know, they, they had a good job. They had their health. They had a marriage when they went to go get their loan. They just fell into a circumstance and then they just needed a period of time to get back on their feet and they needed someone that could work with them. But once you do that and, and, and you give them a sustainable plan, then they're going to make pay, They're going to appreciate that for one, because there's a relationship there. Someone actually treated them like a human, which doesn't always happen in banking. And then, and then they're going to make their payments on time for 12 months, 24 months. And that loan technically becomes performing again. And from that point, as long as it meets other requirements, we will buy that in a, at a 12%, 13% yield, even though the coupon rate is at six, seven, eight, 9%. Absolutely. Thank you for that clarity. Um, you know, I think a lot of people like to give banks a bad name here, but you know, most banks too are willing to do a loan modification. If, if the, if the borrower actually gets in touch with them, like a lot of times the borrower ignores the bank and then guess what happens that the bank has no recourse, but most banks would prefer that you pay something over nothing. Um, <laughs> so I love your compassion. Well, the bank, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. There's a lot of banks that 
for whatever reason because um, of their of their investors, they're, they they have to answer to a board or or their their um, regulations in place. Uh, we're not a bank, so we're you know we we're we're a collection company on the front end side, but. Um, there's a lot of a lot of banks will just send out a reinstatement letter to a homeowner and say, you know, hey, we'll work with you as long as you pay thirty five thousand dollars in past due interest arrears that you owe in the next thirty days, right? Like, or it, it, there's a coldness to the whole process. So you very seldom find a company that they'll be like, hey, you know, where are you at now? How much can you afford? Um, if you do this, I'll do this, right? Like, give and take. Let's a win win here. Absolutely. Thank you for the clarity there. Um, I'm curious, are you buying these non-performing loans one by one or are you buying them in bulk? We buy in pools. So, so yeah, we buy in bulk. We buy, we buy um, in, in bulk and uh, we do it on, on a pretty much a quarterly basis. Beautiful. Thank you for that clarity. So, so we run due diligence streamlined. So, so in other words, like you buy one mortgage, um, think about what a bank does when you get a mortgage. You know they're going to get an appraisal. They're going to get um, title report to owners and encumbrances. They're going to want to see you know who owns the property, what lien positions are there, what liens exist, what judgments are there, um, credit report, credit risk analysis, skip tracing, bankruptcy searches, all these things they do uh, to to pro produce you know due diligence report on and then not to mention the collateral right? How does the collateral look? Um, the mortgage note, the the, um, the the mortgage, the promissory note, the launches and assignments and whatnot. So they we look at all of that, but we do it in a streamlined fashion. So we could actually review 50 notes. We could review a few hundred notes through our system. Very cool. I'm going to go back a little bit because I'm curious, since, since you are so willing to work with these tenants, I'm curious if that's become a value add somehow on the back end, because what I found interviewing a lot of successful people, I find that the people that are most compassionate and are willing to give the most tend to be the most successful. So I'm curious if that has wound up coming back as a boomerang in some way, or is it just, you know, you sleep better at night? Yeah, I think that goes back to our, um, the first part of our discussion, right? Like who is the operator? What's the asset class? And when people know where where our heart's at, um, when they know about our practices, when they know we're actually, these mortgages are not just providing a 9, 10, 11% return back to the investor, um, but but they're actually doing good for people. Like we're, we're a, um, it's a social good for this world. And um, I, I think when, when investors know that, um, there's a lot that appreciate that that part of it. Absolutely. That would make a big difference to me when I was investing. So, I mean, I, I could see how that would transfer to other people. Um, last question yeah. I have about notes, because obviously you must have a pulse of what the distressed market looks like right now. I'm curious what it looks like on a national level. I know in my state of Illinois, it's, it's, it's pretty high, um, but I'm curious, um, like, what's your perspective on that? And, and do you see foreclosures coming back again? Because REOs are kind of non-existent at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, inventory, um, the re the retail side of real estate is still on the residential side is still is still pretty hit. Um, um, but yeah, I, I do see a turn. I mean, you have record high uh, consumer debt now over 16 trillion. And, um, you know, it's going to catch up to the housing market. And 
and uh, especially with the in, in, increase in interest rates, um, people um, don't often think about the impact of the in, interest rate hikes. Uh, they see it from the perspective of, oh, well, 30 year fix is this, but their their credit card may have jumped from 20% to 30%, you know, or their car loan may have jumped up when they go get a used car. And so the, the it, it drives the cost of, of consumer goods and services all across the country, all across the world. And and so there's there's an effect to that. And I think not only will we see more foreclosures, but I think we'll see another um, bankruptcy um, spike as well with um, personal and business uh, bankruptcy filings. Thank you for that information. It might be depressing, but it's important for people to know. So, um, Well, that's what goes back to the financial mm -hmm. statement, right? You're living financial statement and, um, you know, seeing that you're not over leveraged, seeing that you can manage it, seeing that if you're not hitting your, your active income goals or your monthly passive income goals, hold yourself accountable and start getting creative. But the first, the first way to get creative is to become aware. And so, um, once you're aware of your situation, then, then you, and then, and then you feel the burn then you start thinking about ways that um, you can create uh, additional streams of income for yourself and, um, and then become debt-free from a bad debt perspective and start building assets that produce cash flow. Thank you for that thorough response. Um, it's one of my favorite questions to ask people. Um, Martin Sines, if you had a billion dollars in the bank and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow, how would you spend your time? I would spend it um, delivering the message of, of um, <clears throat> spreading monthly passive income to the world. So I would, I would just go right into full-time education mode. I'm pretty much, I feel like I'm there now because <laughs> I'm constantly educating investors. I, I'm going to go off tangent here. There's, there's, um, uh, in high income earners over, it's something like 200 K a year in this country. Um, 36% of them live paycheck to paycheck. You, you'd be, you'd that be amazed absurd. that I, I talk to people constantly. Yeah. That, 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 um, that, that do not have a penny in monthly passive income and they're ready to retire in a few years. They may have a few million in 401k or, but that doesn't equate to the 20 K a month they need to live the, how they've lived for the past, you know, whatever number of decades. And so, um, I, I feel, I feel, um, that part of my purpose is to, to spread financial literacy in the little ways that I know how. And so I would just do that on, on a larger level. Love it. I love it. Love it. I love asking entrepreneurs that question because they tend to say they'll, they'll continue to work. Um, but it's usually for a passion yeah. play is less than a monetary play, which is beautiful. Um, so thank you for answering that. Um, it's yeah. my favorite question because it tells me a lot about the person. Um, Martin, so like, what is your vision for this year? I mean, it's not really that new anymore. We're into March already, but like, what do, what do you think um, you guys want to accomplish in the next 12 months or so? Yeah, so um, we're raising $50 million this year um, to buy a few medical office buildings and as well as an investment into oil and gas. Um, so um, I'm excited to see that come to fruition. Um, you know, privately, I'm, I'm chipping away. I, I, you know, dollar cost. I actually 
DDCA. So I, I daily dollar cost average into investments. So, um, so I'm going to continue to do that. I, I don't know that there's any like magical event, like, uh, a treasure chest at the end of the rainbow for me with it. I don't kind of look at, I just look at like what I do daily. And as long as I'm able to do these habits and practices daily, then, then I'm going to get fulfilled in the way I need to get fulfilled. Oh, that's absolutely correct. Um, if I want to break down success to people, I tend to say attitude, effort, and habits. That's it. You figure those three things out and you, and yeah. you'll get there eventually. Um, Absolutely yeah. tremendous stuff. Martin, um, if the audience wanted to reach out to you, if they wanted to buy their book, where should they go? Yeah, I mean, you can just punch my name up, Martin um, Signs, S-A-E-N-Z, and Amazon. You can see all my books. Um, you can email me at martin at bqfunds.com, and I'll send you a living financial statement. Um, I can let you know about our, our income fund that pays out monthly. Um, and... Um, yeah, yeah. I just emailing Martin at bqfunds.com. I love getting this living financial statement out. Um, I don't care about the investing with us if it's not if it's not something for you, but at least start there because I, I really think that families are suffering right now financially. That is without a question. Um, Martin signs. I just want to thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. Martin here just said he will give you his living financial statements. So go grab that. I'm going to grab it because it sounds like an amazing practice to do um, once a week. I mean, if you don't review your money, who's going to review it for you? you hope you have a CPA and a bookkeeper, but you should review it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you should do it yourself too. Um, tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we will catch you on the next one.